Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2015 film Inside Out is about um, feelings. It's a movie about feelings, good feelings, uh, not so good feelings, but uh, feelings. Uh, joining us today is Whitney Lauritsen. Uh, Whitney is a well-being coach and podcast co-host. This might get uncomfortable podcast. Um, Whitney, uh, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Um, now, this podcast is, you might say it's a discussion of different topics and subjects that are in various media and films such as Inside Out. And so if you would like to watch the movie while you are listening to the podcast, you are definitely welcome to, to do so. I will be here with you. Uh, Whitney will be here with you watching the movie with you. It might not be the whole movie, but it'll be at least uh, part of the movie for a little while. Um, I did want to mention a couple uh, resources up front so you are um, aware of these resources. There is a crisis text line in the US. You can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. In the UK, you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Depending upon where you are in the world, uh, check your local listings, as they say. Uh, Whitney, um, thank you for uh, being here today. I, I appreciate it. I'm excited to have this discussion today. Okay. <laughs> Likewise. Um, now, one of the the, the things about uh, Inside Out, and I'm not sure if I, I mentioned this to you or not, but... I saw this movie in theaters when it came out. I saw this shortly after my uh, brother had, had, had passed. So I went in thinking it would be a joyous and happy movie, which it is to some extent. <laughs> but I, you can imagine my uh, shock I don't know if shock would be the right word, possibly, where, and this would, would have been the first movie that I went to after his passing, and the movie about feelings, all sorts of feelings. So, um, so, so when I reached out to you for scheduling, and you had mentioned um, Inside Out, that immediately um, brought up some uh, memories from that. I bet. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it? It's interesting because I remember hearing people talk about the movie. I don't remember where I was. And honestly, as we're talking about this right now, I don't know if I ever saw the ending of the movie, believe it or not, which maybe after this conversation, I'll go finally do. Yeah. But I, the movie was very vivid for me because I used to live in San Francisco where the movie takes place and it brings back memories. And the movie is actually very much about memories True. and yeah, it's, it's it's one of those films I think is so powerful and unique for a kid's movie, but also very important because it does encourage us to examine our feelings and think about them differently and also reflect on how children deal with their feelings because I think that's incredibly key when it comes to mental health for each of us reflecting on our own childhoods. And then if there are children in our life, whether they're our own or another child that we care about from somebody else, uh, I think it's really important for us to continue to learn 
how to communicate with children well, because their mental health is still being developed. And a lot of times as adults, we, we forget that children's mental states are quite different from ours and, and in a way very fragile and yeah, this movie just brings up so much as we're talking about it. I I still have so much like visual, uh, memories of it, right? Like it, it, it impacted me in such a deep way. And I think a lot of people experience that. Definitely. And, and the fact that, and, and for those who have not seen the movie and, I'm sure there are some people who, who may not have, uh, but the the, um, the the characters in the movie are are feelings. So there's there's joy and there's sadness and there's anger and fear and disgust. Which I remember wa- watching this and I thought, how cool is this? That a it's it's a, a Pixar movie where it's not all happy happy joy joy, but it's the the whole range of emotions i i just because that's not too common in a lot of movies where you you know in in mainstream hollywood movies it's not too and and you know not not to get sidetracked and and that's one of the things that i that i have to work on with this podcast is not getting sidetracked um so (laughs) sidetracks are great i you know what's funny is i have felt like self-conscious emotions yeah. when when I've gone off for me it's a tangent right I'll yeah. I'll just start talking about something else and then I'll get self-conscious about it and I'll try to yeah. reel it back yeah. but that's yeah. how natural conversations are in most yeah. part right De- and definitely. I actually much prefer listening to podcast episodes <laughs> that feel more real and conversational yeah. and that's the way my show is so yeah you never have to worry about it with me and I bet you more people enjoy it than not right because oh I I hope so I think so. It's, it's, it makes it more real, just like this movie, you know, and mental health. It's so important to talk about it very openly and honestly, versus for me growing up studying psychology, it, the drawback to studying that is it often felt so clinical and sterile, you know, like when I think about my psychology classes in, in high school and college, it was it was these like heavy textbooks and these long lectures that I was so bored by, but I was really, really interested in psychology and always have been. And it's so nice that you're kind of doing it in a more conversational, open, honest, and and fluid way than a super structured, rigid, um, more like uh, training way, if that makes sense, or like a a medical (laughs) structure, which I don't think is as appealing. Yeah, because I know that there is undoubtedly some some uh, people of of the film snob variety of, of which I guilty as charged in that regard who who, who maybe grew up with with a, a Truffaut movie like 400 Blows or, or Jules and Jim and are going, yeah, so Inside Out's about feelings, yeah. So, you know, so there, there's, so I understand that many of the listening audience is either, will either find it a revelation or will, as far as inside out, will either find it be a revelation as far as feelings or will either be super blasé about it. You know, if they grew up on French cinema or movies with subtitles that you have to read where something like this is, yeah, tell me something I have. So, so it's sort of like walking a fine line for the audience. Sure, I could see that. I mean, I went to film school and worked in the film industry for a long time. And, and uh, 
part of why I moved out of the film industry yeah. and, and pivoted towards a work in the well-being world and health and wellness is that it felt a little too snobby, like you're describing, you know, um, working in Los Angeles in the film world, there's just a lot of people that think that they're better than, and yeah. if you don't do things the way they want it done, then it's not good enough. So I can understand your feeling around that, but just know that there are a lot of people like me who don't need that structure and, and want to do things differently and want to rebel against the, the way it's supposed quote, supposed to be or the right way yeah. to do things and I think there's something out there for everyone and yeah. uh if anything maybe we are not only encouraging somebody to watch this movie because I I think some people haven't seen this movie simply because it's a cartoon it's an animated uh Disney movie they think oh like I'm not gonna bother but <laughs> part of what drew me to watch this yeah. movie is all of the praise it got it is a highly rated film it's very respected it, it made a big difference in people's lives so i think it's a great film to revisit even if you have already seen it it is and 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 you touch on a good point because it does not feel like like it's a um and, and you may know the, the, the this phrase when i when i say this phrase it does not feel like a test screened movie where they have committee after committee after test screening after test screening and then okay here's our finished product this is what we're released it does not have that sort of feeling to it i'm sure pixar being what it is and you know i'm sure that that, that they did go through that assembly line processes in some regard but it does not it does not look like it if it did because it, it has a very human touch to it that you simply don't see and a standard animated film of, of, of this caliber. You know, there's the little mini film before the main film. And then it's, so it's like, a, it's like a double feature in a way. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's been a little while since I've seen it. I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of rethinking my reactions to it. You know, and it's interesting because I pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes reviews on it. And it's, I mean, incredibly highly rated by Definitely. all of these big Definitely. critics, you know, that are calling it bold and funny, heartbreaking, and that it deserves an Academy Award nomination. Was it? Did it uh, win any awards? It must I, have. I think it, I know it was nominated. It might have won some Golden Globes. It might have, you know, some of the other ones. I, I, I don't know if it did for the Oscars. But I think it did for the, the Golden Globe because I distinctly remember watching one, one of those award shows at the time, and I remember seeing Amy Poehler, who, who's one of the characters uh, in the movie, accepting an award. So yeah, I actually, I, I just looked that up on IMDb, and it says that it it won in 2016 for best animated feature correct. film, an Academy Award. It won. Golden Globe for best motion picture animated and it's it won 98 awards and got 115 nominations so you know it's a pretty serious no, movie in a lot of ways it is and it, it's a very good movie and I always hesitate whenever I say the word good movie I always have to qualify what I mean by, by good um that means different things to different people um in the context of saying a good movie that this is i'm referring both to the 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 standard general public 
sense of the word, but also to the issue at hand of, of this podcast, it's also highly recommended by many counselors and therapists and doctors, et cetera, et cetera, which is an entirely different level of recommended and good film than a general public recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's really neat. I think I think it's as adults, it's helpful to return to our childhood, and and certainly in therapy, this is something you can do too. You know, uh, a lot of mental health suggestions will are centered around thinking about your childhood roots, like what happened, and then yeah. acknowledging trauma or really tough times. And this movie kind of shows that you could kind of push things away and ignore them, but that doesn't mean that they're not having a really impactful, a really big impact on you in the long term, mm-hmm. right? And True. I think one of my beliefs around mental health is that we need to be really mindful, have a lot of awareness and simultaneously be gentle and forgiving to the challenges that we had growing up. And I actually find it's almost like detective work. (laughs) Whenever I go visit my family, which I actually just did recently, I spent an extended period of time with my parents at the home I grew up at. And every time I do that, something comes up whether it's a memory or whether it's seeing something that I haven't looked at in a long time. Like I'll go through old photo albums and I'll think back to what I was going through at the time growing up. Or sometimes it's conversations with my parents that reveal sides of me that I haven't acknowledged or I, or I understand myself better. And I, yeah. I think that childhood is like one of the greatest teachers that we have. Oh, definitely. What um, what was what brought you on your, your, your journey into the, you know, the, the wild and wonderful world of, of mental health? Was was there something that that sort of said said you on, on your journey in, in that regard? Well, I got into psychology really succinctly when I was in. Um, like 11th grade. So my second to last year of high school, I had a phenomenal, I think it might've been a little earlier, but I, I, I believe it was then my last two years of high school studying psychology because I had an incredible psychology teacher and I was fascinated by it. And I was on the trajectory to study film in film school. So I, I went to a film school in Boston called Emerson college and unbeknownst to me, they also had a opportunity for me to minor in psychology. So I studied that and I didn't have the desire to be a therapist or psychologist, psychiatrist. Like that wasn't in my head because I was so focused on my film career, but I was passionate enough about these subject matters because I wanted to better understand myself and other people. So I studied that, went on this path, working in the film world for many years, Then I started a blog that was based around health and wellness. And I kind of put all the psychology stuff aside. It took me years to realize that it was still really impacting me in my work. And of course, film was was impacting me as well because I do a lot of online content and and, uh, based around, you know, video-based content. So all my film (laughs) experience did not go to waste. I was able to apply that, but I really put, the psychology stuff on hold for a very long time. And uh, as I've been working in the health and wellness world, I've realized that mental health is a subject matter that 
that is growing as a quote trend because a lot of us are recognizing that we're struggling with anxiety, depression, and other common mental health challenges. I think right now people are getting the courage to talk more openly about it versus when I was in college, not only was I studying psychology, but I also started seeing a psychologist, a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. to be exact, um, because I was struggling with my mental health in college. And I talked to my, my doctor about it. They recommended this person. I went and saw her and she really changed my life in some dramatic ways. And I've seen some therapists off and on since then. But I think that the more I study this world of wellness, we have to look at mental health. We have to really be mindful about how big and small things impact us. And that's grown my passion for it. I started my podcast, This Might Get Uncomfortable, which my co-host and I refer to as mental health related, but neither one of us are are doctors. So we never want to like give advice, like medical advice per se. We, but we talk openly about our struggles and we bring on guests that talk openly about their struggles. And it's really opened my mind to this whole mental health world. And so long story short, my, my passion for mental health is growing because it helps me and it helps other people. And I want to be part of making people feel as good as possible. Definitely. Definitely. One thing I, I wanted to ask, and this is, I guess, the the obligatory COVID-19 question, which undoubtedly, I don't know if there's a requirement that all podcasts have to have a obligatory COVID-19 related question. Um, but, if, but if that is a rule, I'll, I'll, I'll oblige by, by that rule and, and ask the, the um, obligatory COVID-19 question. Um, do you think necessarily that because this is being pre, uh, recorded, uh, the, the prior week that this was being recorded, there was, I don't say controversy, but uh, a, a news item in the news as far as a, a, a statistic in regards to a, su- a suicide rate relative to COVID-19 that may or may not have been accurate. And so there was some controversy in the past week that a, a news anchor on uh, CNN had retweeted a statistic that had been disputed. There had been some, some doctors, uh, which, um, but th- there was some dispute as far as the accuracy of this t- statistic because the ultimate thing that has been uh, talked about to 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 to, uh, to a to a great extent, and do you necessarily agree that obviously lockdown and and the uh, pandemic is obviously not a good thing? Nobody's saying it is, um, but do you think that a lot of the effect on mental health is, is is overstated or exaggerated to some extent, or do you think that a lot of the concern is, is well founded? Because I've seen sort of both in a lot of ways. It's an interesting question. And I didn't see um, the news story you're referencing, but I have seen a lot of articles coming out around statistics. And uh, in the past, I saw one about like one in four something. And now I don't even want to misquote it. So I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to say it actually, yeah. Yeah. but the, the statistic one in four yeah. was, was uh, yeah. whether it was people getting depressed or anxious. And I remember seeing statistics around suicide and all of that. 
Gosh, you know, without me being a professional researcher, it's so hard to say because uh, to your point, I think it's really important that we don't spread misinformation, that we fact check things and we recognize that not everything that we see online is true. It's very easy for for news to spread that isn't accurate and for us to believe things that isn't true. And, and gosh, COVID for that reason is incredibly confusing. I think one of the ways that we cope mentally is to either obsess about information and latch onto things that we see or believe the sources that we've want to believe. Right. But cross-referencing is incredibly important, Definitely, you know, and I learned this just in my years of working in the journalism world and you, you know, uh, writing so many papers <laughs> in college, for example, you, you have to really check your sources. And that's because we know that a lot of times we're biased in what we believe. We can't yeah. believe the very first thing that we see. We have to see what their sources are. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. They, they see something, maybe they see it a couple times, they believe it, they hear something. And as we've seen with the election, for example, in the past yeah. four years, like misinformation can spread and sometimes it is malicious. Sometimes there's yeah. another force um, show, showing us Facebook ads that <laughs> are not right. You know, and so yeah. we can't believe every ad we see. We have yeah. to have some sort of skepticism. So that's that's the first part of my answer is that I think it is important before we retweet tweet something yeah. or reshare it on any social media platform, check it first. Um, and also acknowledge that we're sharing it because it resonates with us, but it might not be the be all end all. Yeah. Twitter has actually changed recently where they are changing the retweet structure you have to um they they kind of convince you to oh, comment it, on it yeah we have versus, to read it read it first there's yes. a prompt for read it reading it first yep exactly yeah. which i think is is their efforts <laughs> to show yeah. that we can't just hit the retweet button uh really quickly and share everything without considering it first um in terms of covid's effect on mental health i believe based on studying it uh, paying attention and also hearing from people in my circle, which is my circle of friends and family members, a lot of people do seem to be struggling in big and small ways. I think the common and, and quote small way is a lot of people feel uh, lonely. You know, there, there's a, a term right now, like COVID fatigue, yeah. fatigue is an actual symptom of COVID, but it's it more the mental fatigue, the emotional fatigue that people are experiencing where they miss human interaction. They want a sense of normalcy again. And so that can cause some people to do things that they wouldn't normally do because they're, they're feeling a sense of almost desperation. Right. And I think that's a huge issue right now. And there's also that sense of loneliness, not in, in terms of that we're not having the same types of human connection, which by the way, have mm -hmm. been found in many studies to be crucial for our mental health. Definitely. Physically being with people improves our feelings. Um, and I don't have the sources off the top of my head to share that, but if you do your own research, Definitely. you'll probably come across that Definitely. as well. Um, but of course, any research can be... <laughs> 
(laughs) can be found false. So don't quote me on that per se, but that's what I've come across. Right. Um, And I'm willing to be proven wrong (laughs) at any point. So it always makes me want to find all my sources. Right. Um, But I believe that in-person human interaction does make a big difference. In fact, one, one resource that I will shout out that was really helpful for me is a book called do nothing. Uh, by this woman. I, her first name is Celeste. can't remember her last name. I, I feel like it starts with an H, but the book Do Nothing is a phenomenal resource, mainly around encouraging people to put less pressure on themselves to be productive. And one of the statistics that she talks about in that book is how because we spend so much time on our phones and other devices, yeah. we have less in-person human connection. And that can lead to us struggling uh, with our mental health. And I think that's a huge part of COVID right now as well, is that we are doing Zooms more frequently. We are FaceTiming, we are Skyping, we are, you know, having these virtual uh, interactions with people, which are a fill-in for, for being safe. You know, many people are doing that to protect their health, which I think is important. But in that book, the author talks about how it really isn't a long-term fix. We need to have those in-person interactions for our mental health. So I'd be willing to guess a huge reason that people are struggling right now is, is based on that, is that we're doing more screen time than ever. Probably we are seeing people virtually. We don't feel like we can interact with them in person. And then we can feel lonely when we don't feel like other people can relate to how we're feeling. Right. So I think like, that's one of the themes going back to inside out is that maybe on the outside, this little girl looks like she's coping and she's fine with life. But on the inside, she's literally got this argument happening nonstop and all of this angst happening. And, and she doesn't know what to do with it because it's so confusing. I think that happens to us as adults too. And that's part of the reason inside out probably made such a big splash (laughs) and a big impact in our lives is that this isn't something just experienced by children. As adults, we we basically have those little characters fighting between joy and sadness and fear and anger. That happens to many of us throughout our whole lives. Well, and then also um, there's only recently, and I say recently as in I would, what, maybe five, five years, one, one, two, maybe five years, maybe longer, but only recently that, the the not so good or not not so um happy feelings have only recently been acknowledged as needing to acknowledge and just have some outlet for or or am i I misstating that have you seen the same thing like it's only been very recently that those like the, the less popular feelings have been acknowledged have you seen that for me i feel like perhaps what you're alluding to is like is it more socially acceptable to talk about mental health challenges, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's that absolutely. And I think, um, you know, when I used the word trend earlier, like I, I'm saying that because it's more common for people to talk about and acknowledge publicly their mental health challenges, it's giving more people permission because they no longer feel like they have to hide it. It's no longer a place of shame. Definitely. But I think the trouble is right now we have seen such an increase that it becomes more confusing 
because then you wonder, am I clinically depressed or am I just yeah. having temporary feelings of depression? Yeah. Am I anxious? Do I have an anxiety disorder? You know, and when there's a huge rise of information, it becomes really hard to find the truth. Just like we were talking about with COVID. Uh, yeah. I, I think COVID is incredibly overwhelming and confusing because all these people are sharing their opinions. It's a relatively new thing and everyone's trying to figure it out at once. Yeah. And another big challenge for us is that overwhelm feeling of mm -hmm. I have taken in way too much information than I know how to process. Mm -hmm. Now I don't even know what to do. And I almost feel worse off. I think we're a danger of that with mental health too. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are speaking about mental health um, that aren't qualified to it. That's why I always say like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a yeah. therapist, yeah. a psychiatrist, yeah. a psychologist. I don't have a degree in this. I have a passion yeah. for it. Just like yeah. I think you do, Brian. Yeah. And um, if we talk openly about that, it's more about our opinions and our experiences, yeah. but because of social media and all these other uh, digital platforms we have now, everybody can talk about mental health and yeah. not have a degree with it. Yeah. And maybe that leads to us feeling more confused about it than ever. Yeah, because from my experience, there has been, and again, this is strictly my experience only, but it has almost been like there's like two extremes. Like you have one extreme of almost like a, like a Stepfordy wife, um, the, the two major mental health organizations, which I, I always mention every episode because they're a good group of people should know about, NAMI and, and uh, Mental Health uh, America. Uh, but th there's one extreme on the outside where it's, you know, th these are the acceptable um, stories of what's going on with your depression, with, with your bipolar, with, with what's going on. And then you have this other extreme where it's almost like you have these two extremes that are at odds and i've never like even with the the, the whole anti-meds thing people who are anti-meds and i'm not anti-meds I, I i'm um i don't I, I'm, I'm not in that i'm not in that category uh but i i think those who do have valid concerns about side effects or you know any number of different grievances it's almost like they've been demonized and like each each side's like demonizing each other and then nothing gets accomplished you have to, you know so that's something that, that just boggles my mind as to how much longer that could keep going on having the, the two you know the, the the two polar opposites in a way and never having that middle ground Right. And I think middle ground is, is really the aim, yeah. but also knowing that we can't make too many assumptions. Mm -hmm. And if we make these, if we kind of swing in these polar opposite directions, they're so extreme. Mm -hmm. I think we cling on to those extremes because they feel more, co uh, they help us cope and they feel more comforting sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for us mentally to yeah. stay in the middle because that means it's more of a gray area that might be yeah. more vague. That might yeah. means that we're constantly having to shift back and forth between different sides of things. Whereas some people want a definitive answer. So yeah. like no medication is a definitive <laughs> answer or medication is a definitive answer. And I yeah. agree with you. I think, um, it's kind of like food in general, right? Yeah. I've been working in the health and wellness world and, and, 
uh, researching food for many years. And it's so common that somebody wants to say like, this is the right way to eat. (laughs) And you have rules here. You, You can eat this and you can't eat that. But then there's the mentality of moderation. And in fact, from a mental health perspective, I think moderation is actually more helpful because sometimes being too strict is really hard on you mentally. You become fearful of doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes though, having a boundary is helpful for your mental health because it gives you some sort of guideline. You don't have to overthink things. And that's Mm -hmm. why it does have to be balanced. It's okay to do something, try it out and see if it works for you. And I would say that when it comes to medication, but you really do need to speak to a doctor. Definitely. The, the other big thing um, that my co-host Jason of, of my show will often say is that when you just take a um, like try to fix it yourself. For example, a lot of people tried natural remedies, which I'm a huge fan of. I love looking yeah. at a holistic approach to your, your well-being. you know, mm-hmm. but the problem is if you go to the store on your own and you try to find the solution for what's going to make your body and your mind feel better, you're kind of guessing you're throwing darts at a dartboard with a blindfold sure. on Exactly. when you work with a professional, a medical professional specifically, they can help you figure out what's the best option for you. Um, uh-huh. I also really recommend having multiple opinions, like uh-huh. going to different doctors for the Definitely. same thing and then trying to figure out what it all means, but that's harder. That might take more time, yeah. take more money and you might get some, results that are conflicting. And my big suggestion is to look at it as a evolving journey and you're just collecting more information to help you make a decision. And also to go with your gut, like the times that I have listened to what I'm kind of leaning more towards, like Mm -hmm. you'll know if a doctor feels good to you and feels right for you. Right. Like you walk in the door and you can tell immediately based on the way they make you feel and Mm -hmm. the, the way that they're interacting with you. And so my best medical experiences have been with people that make me feel good. And I tend to trust them more, you know, I also like to get different opinions just to kind of make sure I'm on the right path. Well, definitely. And also the, the coordination of care is a term I've heard before. And that's exactly, that's what you're talking about in in large degree is the coordinative care, having one doctor who coordinates care with, with another doctor, and so absolutely, that's something that I, I'm, I'm definitely a firm believer in. Definitely. Um, so now you had alluded to this, um, actually I, I had alluded to it uh, earlier. So I wanted to ask you, um, in your experience in, in film school, um, do you think there's any um, truth to the stereotype that I alluded to as far as foreign films you know whether that's euphemistically french films or typically french films they get they get the stereotypical uh um but do you think that that's true that a lot of foreign films tend to be more likely to be about films and emotions and etc etc compared to like a mainstream hollywood movie 
Yes and no. I mean, certainly there are a lot of filmmakers who have been influenced yeah. by foreign films, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we see a lot of American directors mm -hmm. being influenced by somebody from a different country or the movies yeah. that they saw growing up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a shift happening. And in my film school experience, I don't recall there being a specific bias. I Luckily, Emerson College, at least at the time where I went there, felt very liberal and creative. I yeah. had wanted to go to NYU to sh because that was like the place to go yeah, for film, is. right? Yeah. But from what I know of, again, at the time, mm -hmm. that was more about film theory yeah. and studying film versus what I loved about my experience at Emerson is it was very hands-on and they were very like open to whatever you wanted to do and how you wanted to express cool. yourself cool. and what what really spoke to you we studied film history we studied theory and techniques but it did it, it felt like whatever however you wanted to express yourself through film was okay yeah and they would kind of give you directions more on the like business side of things which i really appreciated so i feel lucky i i'm personally not clearly a, a film snob in that <laughs> classical sense of Oh, well, that film isn't as good as this film. I mean, no. I'm a very balanced person. No. I think that no. there's value in everything. Yeah. And it, just because I don't like something doesn't mean it's not a good movie. No. <laughs> you know? Well, and well, I think yeah. the huge benefit is, like I said, uh, filmmakers typically will, will be inspired by another filmmaker, yeah. a film that they saw. Yeah. And so now we have a lot of influence on um, current modern American films that have come yeah. from some of the great films yeah. that were made in other countries. Yeah. Well, one of the, well, one of the things that um, on, on that point, um, as far as like the, the, the film culture in a way, um, one of the weird effects of COVID-19 and, and the lockdown and, and, and the, the, the changes in, in the movies is that it has pretty much, leveled the plank field because for the longest time and it still it still is to a large extent you'd have a um like an art house theater that shows the good movies <laughs> i put that in quotes uh the quote unquote the good movies and then the the multiplex that shows everything else and what and what i've noticed just in the last six seven eight months alone is all movies are they're all going to be on Netflix. They're all going to be get the same audience. So a lot of those segmented audiences, it's all one audience now at this point. And so a, a lot of those, those prior definitions are kaput now. They're poof, you know, new, new definitions, new, um, <laughs> new, you know, um, looking for new, new scenarios new new uh, avenues of of movies and so i just wonder for those going into film school in 2020 uh what their head's really going to explode <laughs> their head oh is for just... <laughs> sure when i went to film school we didn't have youtube and youtube changed the game for me as well and uh you know it took years for me to start putting films up on youtube yeah. and i thought it was like such a cool thing 
Um, but I remember when I was in film school, it just wasn't common. We were making DVDs, you know, of our movies and stuff yeah, like that. People yeah. weren't really using the web <laughs> nearly the way that they are now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was part of the shift for me with my career is yeah. I felt disillusioned by the experience I had working in, in film and going on set has always been an incredibly thrilling experience for me. Yeah. But the downside is there was so much um, like of a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a really creative, passionate person, it was like, gosh, I'm going to have to climb this whole ladder and play this game. Yeah. Like I just want to make movies. Yeah. And now anybody can make a movie. In fact, having an iPhone or yeah. any, any comparable, yeah. a comparable uh, device is able to make a film and you can put yeah. it on TikTok, for example, and become a huge star yeah. by shooting a, a 30 second long video. The downside yeah. is though, coming back to film snobbery is like a lot of people that studied film and took it very seriously, I feel like might be a little frustrated by the mm. digital world and yeah. being able to create in this way. Um, but I think it, there's something in it for everybody. Yeah. You know, there's, we still have incredible movies being made yeah. uh, by serious filmmakers who study the craft yeah. and do it in this traditional way. And we also have this rise of kind of more modern, young yeah. um, guerrilla filmmakers yeah. who are using whatever equipment they have to express themselves and becoming well-known for that too. Yeah. And then to your point, we have, we can watch the theater in our home. And right now yeah. we kind of have to, I personally yeah. miss going to the movie theater. Yeah. So do, so do I. <laughs> I'm and, very and, drawn yeah. towards it. Like I, yeah. I'm really eager to see Christopher Nolan's new film. Yeah. Ted, yeah. Um, and I just, it would be so much better in the theater. I just don't know yeah. if I feel comfortable going to the movie theater well, yet. <laughs> yeah. And then also the other thing it's done is it's turned Martin Scorsese and uh, Steven Spielberg into these crotchety old men telling you to get off their lawns. You know what I mean? I and disagree. Like... <laughs> I think, and I mean, maybe it's just my film background, but they will always hold high no, I, respect no, yeah. in my head. Yeah. Um, no, and, and, I and, and, the... and I and I kid. Why do I say that? Because I, <laughs> they're they're the ones who are always telling you know, oh, those aren't real movies, and you know, the, the, they're getting those that 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 reputation of being like the the crotchety old man. Well, it's interesting. I will say as a as a contrary. So uh, before I left the film industry, I uh, submitted uh, one of my short films to a project that Steven Spielberg had. Oh, that, that's right. That's right. I called I on the that. lot. And um, it was a whole TV show that he created supporting uh, young filmmakers. And then by chance, I met Steven Spielberg after that project. And he confirmed that because I'd made it to um, like the one of the final rounds. I didn't actually get on the show, sadly. Yeah. I was heartbreaking at the time, but I got very close to getting on this TV show. And I met him shortly after oh, that time, oh. which was like, I literally cried after. I was so overwhelmed. <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with myself. Yeah. But um, he confirmed that he himself watched uh -huh. The, all the final submissions, including oh, mine. Cool. And cool. he was so nice and incredibly yeah. supportive. And he really felt, I mean, he, he just finished at the time um, doing like what the newer Indiana Jones movie mm -hmm. that he, he revamped that. Yeah. And it was just like this crazy moment, but you realize that 
because of his background building his career up as a filmmaker he genuinely does want to support them Um, another example is rob reiner who i had the pleasure of working for his family that was my last semi-industry job even though it was all like i was working um for them on a personal level but uh rob was also just insanely supportive and he he did some movies that defined my view of filmmaking you know when harry met sally has always been one of my favorite movies and uh that man like was so down to earth and caring and supportive of everybody no he's also done some stuff out like independently correct i I think uh i think flipped was one he did that he did independently Yeah, and that was actually the movie he was working on when I um, left that job, and uh, it was really, it was actually really neat to see that whole process yeah, unfolding yeah. of how they put that movie together, and um, just the best thing about people like Rob Reiner and my perception of Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. is like I think it shows that people do have these different sides to them, yeah. and they're not always what they seem, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Rob Reiner is like just. It's funny because younger people might not know his name, but if if you see if you know the Princess Bride, or when Harry met Sally, or Spinal Tap, or or even he's done all these um, incredible movies. Spinal Tap is awesome. (laughs) I mean that man (laughs) up to eleven. Exactly. When it's, people say they something insane. goes to eleven, they they have no idea where that originates from. Exactly. <laughs> it That's goes what to I'm 11. If, if you look up Rob Reiner, you will be amazed at <laughs> what that man has done as both an actor and a filmmaker. And uh yeah, it was it was the greatest joy. And now cool. he's a very involved political or he has yeah. been involved politically for yeah. a long time as well. Um, but anyways, my point being is getting to have those one-on-one interactions with these filmmaking legends Mm -hmm. showed me that they're just normal people too and they are actually trying to adapt with the times you know like they're not stuck in the old (laughs) ways of doing things they actually are are willing to accept Uh, the changes that are happening i think that's important see it shows that they're more balanced mentally they they are (laughs) are, yeah yeah and 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 for those listening this is um an episode where some of the talk got a little more movie specific which is fine because i i love movies as much as i love uh, talking about mental health and and I can tell you love movies too. Um, a, lot of people, a lot of people don't appreciate this, the genius of this is Final Tap. Um, that is a classic. Um, and I could go off on a million tangents just about that alone, which I'm not going to do because we have limited time. Um, it wasn't, if I remember correctly, this is Final Tap was what, almost like a cult classic, right? I don't think... Was, did well, it come it was, out it was, and like, was it taken that seriously when it came out? No, well, well, it was one of the first like mockumentaries. And the, as I understand it, Spinal Tap actually was played on the radio in some in some markets. Cause this is, that was the era of like, you know, Van Halen 1984 and that, you know, the hairband era. So that would have been right on schedule for Spinal Tap to be on the radio for that era. Cause that was in the eighties. That was MTV, you know, video era. So, and I just remember seeing them on one of the awards. They, they were, yeah, they were, um, yeah, that is a classic. That is that. Yeah, a- and looking it up, it, it was filmed in five weeks. Yeah. Um, it had a really small budget. It looks like um, they short 
they shot a short demo of the film first. So this is what I mean. Like people like Rob Reiner, Steven Spielberg, and many filmmakers, they got their starts shooting short films and playing around as kids and experimenting just like people are doing these days on social yeah. media. So it's actually right. hasn't changed that much. It's just a different medium that we're seeing. And I mean, the access that we have to express our creativity mm -hmm. is growing, which again, like speaking of mental health is mm -hmm. huge because one of the things that I realized through film school is film school is expensive and it takes four years and it, it might not lead to any major results. After I left film school, I would meet a lot of filmmakers who never went to film school and had yeah. the same amount of success or experiences I was having, but yeah. they took a completely different avenue to get there. Yeah. And I think that perspective of making it more accessible to express our creativity and, yeah. and not making you have to follow a very specific rule, ultimately that ties back into mental health because- I think some people don't want to do things the way that other people are doing. They don't want to feel like sure. they have to be forced to live their life in a conventional way. They sure. might want to do it unconventionally, or maybe they don't have access to the same conventions. Mm -hmm. Going to film school is a privilege. Having the money to make a film is a privilege. But now if you have enough money to buy a phone or a computer, you can become a filmmaker sure. because sure. everything else is free after that for the most part. And, and it's therapeutic. I would imagine in so many ways, it's it really is. And that touches upon uh, a prior theme that's been mentioned on um, obviously this, this episode, but prior episodes about uh, art therapy. That is for, as, as you know, genuine art as art therapy gets, <laughs> um, it, it, it really is. It um, both for the, the filmmaker as well as for the audience in many cases, just that, that whole um, experience. Absolutely. And if you go back to the movie Inside Out, you know, mm -hmm. that is an incredibly creative film, you know, and, and she, in her head, there's like this whole world of bright colors and, and characters and everything's about playing and, you know, kids need that. That's therapeutic for children. Mm -hmm. And that's probably Definitely. how they see the world. Uh -huh. And I think as an adult, I want to look at life from that colorful yeah. way. I want to yeah. feel more joy and, and yeah. playfulness and also acknowledge the dark sides of myself. Yeah. Well, the whole human condition thing, it was the inside out is essentially about the human condition. That's what, you know, from, from, from a child's perspective, but also from an adult's perspective, because the, the parents in the movie didn't always see what was going on with, you know, the, the the joy and the sadness and anger and fear and, and disgust and um so absolutely it was um yeah um i am starting to ramble and go off and which which is my cue to sort of probably wrap this up um i i, I did want to mention a, a few resources for those out there because i know many people listening some might be doing well some might not be doing too well um, I did want to mention a few resources for everyone. There is Mental Health America, mhanational.org. There's also National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, NAMI.org. Uh, some people have recommended, I mentioned Mad in America, uh, I think that's .org. And um, are there, uh, do you have any, any resources that I, I should mention as well that you want people to know about or? How would people get in contact with you if they have any, any questions about? 
Well, you can find me in one of two ways or both ways if you prefer. So my podcast is called This Might Get Uncomfortable. So if you're listening to this podcast, you know how to find another podcast. You search for it and it'll come up on your podcast player. And then in terms of um, a deeper connection, I encourage you to message me on social media or send me an email. You can find all of my contact information at my website, WhitneyLauritson.com. That's spelled W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. My last name is spelled L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. And if you just search for me, you'll find my website or you can just go to the .com. I make it easy. I'm a very easy person to find online. You could, you could probably type in Whitney uncomfortable and it probably yeah. is one of the first results. I haven't tried that myself yet, but I imagine homework <laughs> that, today. that would be, yeah, exactly. You homework today. <laughs> Googling yourself. Yeah. Yes. But I, oh. I truly mean it that um, having more of a one-on-one connection with people is really valuable to me. And so I love getting messages. I will respond as quickly as possible to anyone who reaches out to me and make it feel like, a, you know, a more genuine experience on social media is what I'm always after. (laughs) And in terms of resources, gosh, you know, it's interesting. I think those websites that you brought up are so incredibly important and there's a lot out there and I'm a huge fan of reading books. So if you ever need a book recommendation, I can curate a, a great one for you. Like I mentioned that, that book, Do Nothing. Yeah, Do Nothing is the one you had mentioned earlier. Yes, yeah. and it's not yeah. specifically about mental health in kind of a traditional uh, way, but it's, it is about mental health because our mental health suffers when we are overworked, when we're yeah. burnt out, when we are stretching ourselves too thin or falling into the comparison trap because yeah. we don't feel like we're good enough. <laughs> so that book has been, wonderful for my mental health and yeah. I encourage everyone else to check it out too. Definitely. Um, now, one thing I did want to mention, I don't want to embarrass you, but I did want to let people know uh, prior to hitting record, um, I, I did want to acknowledge that you did have a lot of good suggestions, some of which will probably be behind the scenes. So listening might not be aware of, but um, so I did want to thank you for um, some of the suggestions that you had uh, for the um podcast. Of course. Um, I, I mean, so. <laughs> I'm honored to be on your show yeah. and I, I want to see podcasting thrive as a medium. So whatever yeah. I can do to contribute, I, I hope that you make your own website because then you can put all the resources on one page for everybody to find. <laughs> That's what I'm, my fingers are crossed for you, Brian. And, and, and now, that it's, <laughs> now that this is being recorded, now, now there's almost like a level of accountability now. It's like, yeah. <laughs> not, well, Hey, maybe the, no. you know, I would, I would encourage the listener to give your feedback for Brian. If you want a website, let him know. And I bet you he'll make it happen. No, 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 no pressure. No, no stress. Just <laughs> new year's resolution though. Cause people are going to be hearing this around, around the new year. Hopefully it won't be January, but sometime in December, right around the new year time. So who knows that'll, it might be a new year's resolution to, to work on. So, well, thank you for um, being here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. This is a wonderful, unique okay. discussion. <laughs> Honestly, I I, uh, I love it. It's so many interviews I've done over the years are very like similar to one another. So I yeah. looked forward to this conversation because <laughs> I knew it'd be something different. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, thank you, those at home or driving to work or driving from work or at home, wherever you may be. Um, stay safe and um, talk to you next time. Uh, bye. <laughs>